Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And today I sit down with Allison Armstrong. Allison is a very popular author in the relationships niche. She has done a lot of work in better understanding men, which is really one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with her because I find that that's a very rare voice in today's society, especially coming from a woman. Um, a lot of what her work is about is helping women better understand men. She's got a program online called understandingmen.com. Um, and uh, she's written several best selling books. Uh, if you go on Amazon and search her name, Allison Armstrong, you'll find uh, ones that I highly recommend. The Queen's Code is one, The Keys to the Kingdom is another one. Making Sense of Men, A Woman's Guide to a Lifetime of Love, Care and Attention from All Men. She's got a lot of very wildly popular audio programs as well. And you'll hear a lot of her content in other relationship coaches uh, and authors content themselves. So her, her work has been very revolutionary in a lot of respects and has permeated again, a lot of other relationship authors in this field because uh, of how groundbreaking it's been. So I'm excited to share this call with you. Allison is a brilliant uh, revolutionary in this space. And uh, please take notes and let me know if you have any questions on it because this, uh, again, I think it's a very important voice in our culture today. So with that, let's dive into the call. Here we are with Allison Armstrong. Allison Armstrong, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I am very excited to talk to you. You are uh, an inspiration, not just to me, but to obviously many people, including many other authors and gurus. In fact, I really was introduced to you and your concepts through Tony Robbins and, and an event that I went to uh, that he gave and um, it was extremely powerful and then I started to talk to other people and like, you know that's Allison stuff, right? I was like, no. <laughs> so uh, he, I, I was, he did mention you but I, I didn't get all of it. But anyway, it's, you've been a source of inspiration for many, clearly, in the, in the field of relationships. So again, thank you for joining me on today's call. You're welcome. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I, I don't, you know, you don't know anything about me or my background, but um, just to give you the 22nd version, um, I was, I, I grew up, my father was gone a lot, and uh, he was working all the time. And then I had a son of my own, and at, right at that time, my mother passed on, and my father ended up coming out of the closet, telling us he was gay. And it was kind of this whole whirlwind of activity, and it really got me thinking about the masculine experience and what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a father. I wanted to be very clear on all of that so I could make sure that I could give that to my son, and then also I have a daughter as well, and, and be a man in her life. Um, and frankly, to be clear on sort of some of the things that I didn't get um, from my father and and then also appreciate what he did bring to the table. So that's really the journey that I've been on. And it's led us all the way up to this call. <laughs> um, that's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with me. And I, I'm so glad you've taken your journey and decided to help others with it, because I think one of the biggest questions that we're not asking enough these days is what does it mean to be a man? Yes. Who, who is a man? What is a man? What are the gifts of a man? What is the, what are the, what's the contribution? Who can a man be in partnership? Right? Like there's, I mean, as you know, from my work, I spend so much time um, 
convincing women to stop trying to be men. That you guys do the job very well. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> we need to we need to understand it and appreciate it. So thank you for what you're doing. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. But yes, um, I have very clearly seen a a shift in the dynamic of relationships, and I do I do agree with you that I think the biggest void is men understanding themselves and the and the strength and the power that they bring to the table and then you know conversely women that can appreciate that and i don't want that to come across as sounding one-sided but i do think that in its proper format men in their strength honor and protect and serve the feminine and serve women so i think and obviously one begets the other but i do think that the, that men better understanding themselves is service to women and uplifts women, you know, simultaneously. Um, yeah, go ahead. Do we get to talk about that some more? I would love to talk about that some more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, oh, 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 I know, oh, oh, I know. Subject, subject, <laughs> let me add it. <laughs> dive, dive in. The, the microphone is yours. Well, I mean, just the... That line that you said um, serves the feminine, yes. right? That the masculine serves the feminine. Um, I think you probably know I started studying men in 1991. And at that time, I spent probably 95% of my time in what I would now refer to as hunting mode. Mm -hmm. So, um, which I use instead of masculine, just because for many people, they're there's so much they have to get beyond. Yes, it wouldn't right. use the words masculine and feminine, right? They have so much baggage these days. And I spent the first 20 years trying to alter how people thought of those words, and then I just gave up. Um, so you could say that I spent 95% of my time in the masculine or in a hunting mode, or you could say committed and generated, generating and pursuing, 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 right? Like hot on the trail of something. <laughs> and it was all generated from that that's the only way that I felt safe, mm -hmm. right? That that was a way to feel like I was in charge and I was in control of my life and my future and anything happened was because I made it happen. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started studying men, like I said, in 1991 and started um, I had to start with learning how to listen to men because women naturally interrupt <laughs> and interrupt and interrupt and interrupt and rephrase and redirect and go around the world and come back again. And and it's one of the things that contributes to women thinking men are shallow, that we actually never give you enough time space or mental or emotional space to allow men to dive as deep as your fully capable of doing. So I just start with learning to listen. And what shocked me the most, because when I started studying men, I was so normal, right? <laughs> I was a completely normal woman. And that included that I believed that men were shallow. And I believed that men just wanted to talk about sports and work. And as I learn to listen to men, just what I call the imaginary duct tape, <laughs> what men wanted to talk to me about was women. And as they described who women are for them, 
I didn't know what they were talking about. I'd never met those people. In what way? That the men would, well, they talked about women being magical, for example. And they talked about the uniqueness of a woman's way of thinking and the uniqueness of her power and her influence and how much a woman believing in them meant to them, how that's what gave them the ability to do anything. For example, was that their wife believed in them and before that, that their mother believed in them or a, or a teacher, right, or a best female friend believed in them. And they started describing these kind of magical, mystical, influential people. And one man early on even said, Allison, <laughs> women are the unicorns in the forest. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and what it led me to discover, which took many years, Peter, was that as a man, you have the ability to create for a woman a sense of safety mm -hmm. that allows her to be that unicorn, that allows her to stop making stuff happen and actually just be this magical, mystical, nurturing, empowering, influential creature that that ins can inspire so much. Yes. Right. So, so that's that's what was there when you said the masculine supporting the feminine, the masculine in service to the feminine. It's even bigger than that. Yeah. The feminine doesn't get to be expressed until the masculine handles the safety thing. That to me is so profound that when people truly, and that is what I was talking about, that, that a man in his fullness understands that he's creating space for and protecting space for the feminine to really blossom and to, and to, and to be lit up. Um, and that when you don't have that, you either have women that, completely shut down or the women who build up their own defenses and and they're in that hunting mode that you're t that you're talking about um and actually while we're on that for a second can you explain yeah. to our listeners what you mean by hunting and then also uh the other one being gathering sure um so in all this time right and i i think I think like an engineer, so I'm always trying to <laughs> take things apart and figure out how do they work and what's the cause and effect and could we make a slight adjustment here to have it work better and and so much of what I've created in almost 30 years are those small adjustments where where if we make room for, um, for example, a man needing transition time, mm -hmm. right? If you just hold a time space, right? Hold a mental space, not run over him, right? So that he can shift his focus from one thing to another. You get a completely different man. I was just, yeah. I just, sorry to interrupt, but I, just to be yeah. very clear to the listeners, what you're talking about in transition time, oftentimes you'll see a man come home, say from work, and he's in business mode. And I was, I literally just saw this this morning on Facebook. There's a dialogue 
and uh, they were talking specifically about this and trying to understand it. And I referenced your book, by the way. But that transition <laughs> time is when a man is in work mode and he comes home to immediately to, to have a little bit of space to transition, to turn his brain off from work mode and then to be able to shift into home mode or whatever that may mean or wife mode or, or what have you. Yeah, that's a, um, a really common example. And um, one of the things that's fun about this, so to answer your question, I like, I like to look at human beings in terms of hunting and gathering mode because so much of our behavior is illuminated when you look at that such an ancient model, right? Mm -hmm. And that we literally, our brains have ways of perceiving, absorbing, and processing information and translating it into what is worth saying and not worth saying, what's worth acting on and not worth acting on. And it does it distinctly depending upon if a person, a man or a woman, is in what I call hunting mode, which is characterized by being committed. So being anytime you commit to a specific intention, a specific result, a specific destination, and that destination could be a location, right? Like get to the restaurant, or it could be a destination like a goal or a lifestyle or a place in life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a position or a status, if you will. Um, anytime there's that kind of commitment, the brain works in a particular way where it naturally screens out everything that is considered irrelevant to that. Women would say, you tuned me out. No, 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 I didn't. My brain did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and women, as we get older and we have less estrogen, which is what creates the other kind of consciousness, um, we can identify with this with, with hunting mode more because we do it more naturally. But it really is a, it's like the volume is turned down, the colors are turned down, the energy is turned down, nothing jumps out at us like the things that are congruent with what we've committed to. Mm -hmm. And they just don't, the way men described it for me for so long is they just don't occur as, as actionable. It's not that I don't notice the trash that was put in front of the door, <laughs> it's just not, take out the trash time. So I'm gonna move it or go around it. I'm not going to interrupt my process, my you know, road I'm already going down with some momentum. I'm not gonna interrupt it to do that. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. and, and that is mystifying to many women um, because gathering mode is literally the opposite. So where hunting mode is committed, gathering mode is open open to alternatives, open to options, open to possibilities. And it's um, it brings on a kind of consciousness that we call diffuse awareness, which if you think about cave woman walking into a meadow, if she was f focused, right? If she was hunting something, then it makes sense that it would screen out everything, right? Just zero in on that footprint, for example, mm -hmm. right? And follow that. But if she's there gathering, it makes sense that she's there open to all the possibilities in that meadow, 
right? What what could feed us? What could heal us? What could be useful? And I could make something out of it, right? So there's this openness to the options and alternatives and possibilities that literally affects a, a, the perception. Mm-hmm. And men... Um, Everybody, by the way, spends time in hunting mode and gathering mode um, because of what estrogen does to a woman's brain. We can switch from one t- mode to another dizzy, dizzyingly fast. <laughs> like what worked with a woman three seconds ago doesn't work now because she went from being open to committed. Yeah, I've experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and she's a you know, she becomes she's she doesn't seem like the same person and and it's fair because she's now perceiving, listening, speaking, processing and choosing what's worth acting on from a completely different basis than she was three seconds or three minutes or three hours before. Yes. Um yeah, and so that's uh when we're in that gathering mode and I noticed by the way men so my husband who's uh, 68 years old his testosterone levels affect how much he's in hunting mode and gathering mode um, just like everyone else but he has a much more capacity for gathering mode than he did like in his 40s when we got married when he was primarily in hunting mode. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing I've noticed about men at every age though, is that there's this openness that you have when you're what I would call at play, mm-hmm. it, if that resonates, right? So when there's nothing committed to, you're literally open to the possibilities. And the hard part, Peter, is that when a man is like that, is when we fall in love with you mm. because because there's um there's an opportunity for connectivity for connection that doesn't happen when you're focused with the exception of when you're focused on me <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that up <laughs> so when you're at play or focused on me all is well when you're focused on anything else I'm going to die because a tiger's going to come and drag me away and eat me and you won't even have noticed because you will have screened that out as irrelevant. Mm. At least that's what I'm afraid of mm-hmm. as a woman, not knowing that as protectors, right? Protecting comes before providing, so the warrior comes before the hunter, that every man has an an override of that focus. And it, it's a cry for help, right? Just help. And you guys drop everything. And, and if you ever get to witness it, it's, it's amazing because men rushing towards a call for help instinctively are grabbing anything that could be used as a weapon. Mm. <laughs> it might be a pen. <laughs> But anything within reach, they will just grab it to to stab, to club, to beat with. They just, as they're running, they just grab things. And yeah. I, I think it's spectacular. What? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. So I, I can I can relate to that. 
Um, in your book, Keys to the Kingdom, it's such a um, again. This is something that I that I got at a different conference, but the the map that you illustrate was so helpful for me in my personal journey as a man, and um, so I, I want to go into that in a second, and then I have a story to tell you about that after afterwards. But can you um, describe the the map? Uh, and the the stages basically of masculine development. Um, you want the thirty second version? Or Let's start with the thirty second, and then we'll <laughs> dive in. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Keys to the Kingdom proposes that there isn't just child development; that the stages that can be observed from birth in a child continue throughout life. And that in, originally we just saw it in men, but with what you might call the masculinization of women, it's occurring in women as well. Um, I experienced it. Ay, 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 the tunnel. My gosh, how you guys survived that worst time of my life. Um, so we describe it as, as pages, knights, princes, kings, and elders. And that a page is until puberty, and it's a page is a knight wannabe, and you can see him idolizing the the teenage men in his life, right? He wants to be like them, um, but it's about it's about challenge, it's about skill development, it's about testing oneself, um, and then knights are full on that, right? Developing skills. T- competing with others to see how good am I. Um, and and that they, they basically all last um, at least 12 years. Um, so a page is until puberty and nights from puberty until often his late 20s, early 30s. And then at that point in his life, he his need for adventure and conquest and challenge and skill development is being eclipsed if you will it's like this gradual you know (laughs) moving in front of the adventure is the growing need to build to build something to build somewhere Mm -hmm. and um that stage we call prince and that we've paid a lot of attention to and been able to separate it into three phases of early middle and late princes and early princes are figuring out where they're going to build and that might be easy or it might take years and years and then once they figure it out then they're just in heavy duty middle prints build 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 anything that's perceived as an opportunity it's painful to miss it not be ready for it not be up for it a lot of conflicts happen in relationships in the middle prints Mm -hmm. stage you can come back to if you want to then late prints, there's a lot of points on the board. The game is being won sufficiently. There's sort of a slowing down, looking up what else is available in life, um, sense of success and accomplishment. And what we've seen is that last for about six months, maybe a year, and then slam um, mm-hmm. the tunnel. Um which a friend of mine named, he, he called it the tunnel. He said, because with every step you take, it gets darker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is really the existential journey of a man. Okay, my life has made me into this. 
but now I get to choose who I am, mm. right? So there's a a, um, a switch that happens. Like in a princes can adapt a lot. When a man's going through the tunnel, he's literally deciding where his he's going to give no quarter, right? Like I I'm adaptable here, fine, because I don't care. But here, no, completely rigid. Yeah. Um, and as he goes through that process of questioning why he does everything and dis- deciding who he is, then that's when he becomes a king. Ha! Ah, so many relationships fall apart at that point because women are not prepared to deal with a man taking that kind of stand for mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we've counted on that adaptability literally to shape you, manipulate you, maneuver you. Um, and when you stop being like that to us, um, boy, we go through a lot of stuff. Um, Mm. and keys, the kingdom, as you know, is written to support both men and women, men to understand what they're going through and women to understand what he's been through, what he's going through and the changes that she needs to make, or she's going to get left behind. Yes. Um, so just a, a clarification point, cause I've had this, I've thought this myself and I've heard other people ask this. These are psychological stages, are they not? Or are they actual, um, age stages? Can a man, are these just, if a man is 60, is he a king or do, do they have to go through these various psychological stages first? Um, it's definitely not age. Um, there are biological components, like the shift from a page to a night is triggered by puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, because at puberty, you're flooded with testosterone. And what you might term masculine values, just whoosh. So um, loyalty, for example, um, tremendous warrior hunter value, loyalty, who's got my back right? Whose back do I have no matter what? Um, that goes through the roof at, at puberty. It just shows up. There's nothing, bless you. Thank you. Um, there's just nothing more important at that point. Um, the, the others seem to take a certain amount of time. Um, I've known men who became princes as young as 24 but they were really serious teenagers. Right. Um, I know, like my dad, um, when he learned about the stages of development, he he knew that he ha- didn't become a king until his m- late fifties, mid to late fifties. My husband became a king when he was forty years old. The youngest king I've ever met was thirty six. Mm. Um, so. That has to do with accomplishment. It has a lot to do with accomplishment and self-knowledge, um, that prince-king thing. Um, I know I didn't do the 30-second version. I might not be capable of the 30-second version. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I, I might enough. have lost. Um, there is the last one, though, that I mentioned, which is an elder. And not not all men become elders. I would say probably less than 15% become elders. Mm. And most men live out their lives as kings. Mm. Um, an elder is a, literally a state change. It's a it's this profound transformation. Um, a man I know he calls it beyond ambition. 
Hmm. Um, another man I know described to me the, the moment it happened to him. And one of the biggest things that changes in a man when he goes from a king to an elder is what he's willing to be accountable for um, has a whole lot more filtering um, than it did before. Accountability is such a quality of, of the warrior and the hunter. So you could say a masculine quality, a natural thing for men to be accountable, which is stunning. It's also fueled by testosterone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can exhaust women who have 15 to 30 times less testosterone than men. Um, but for elders, they're now filtering for, is this mine to do? As I Am I the only one who can do it? Is there anyone who can do it better than me? And, and it's only when it's left to, I am exactly the person who needs to do this, that they're, okay, then it's mine. Mm. Fascinating. Did, uh, did your friend tell you what that story was, where he knew that precise moment between when he, came, when he was a king and went to an elder? Yeah, it, it, it was, there wasn't anything in particular happened. Okay, it, it was just, just a just shifted mm. and he was no longer willing to be accountable for other people's results. So um, one of the things that women don't know about men is that if you ask a man for advice, like if you say, what should I do? If he's willing to answer that question, it's, if he's willing to say you should, that he's taking accountability for your outcome. Mm. And he's giving you the best he's got. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's disrespectful to not follow the advice you requested. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why one of the things we train women in in our Understanding Women course is if you're, if what you want is input, make sure you ask for input. <laughs> I need to make a decision for myself that I'm accountable for. And if you're willing, I would love your input or recommendation of things I should consider before I make this decision, mm-hmm. right? Like don't don't offer any wedge of accountability to him if you're not willing to do what he says. Yeah. And And as you know, as a man, there are times when you say, well, I won't tell you what you should do, but you might consider, right? You're actually refusing to pick up the accountability for that result. And that's what, um, his name is Mac. That's what Mac told me about becoming an elder, that he stopped being willing to be accountable for other people's results. And so instead of giving people answers or advice, he'd give them questions Mm. to think about instead. And that's one of the marks of an elder. Um, They start yeah, that's very interesting. I, I did a uh, week-long survival training out in the Northern Californian woods with a guy named Tom Brown, um, and a lot of his training was Native American-inspired, and <clears throat> we did one day where um, we walked out to a big meal that they prepped, and it was led by the elders. Um, mm-hmm. And the they said that in the Native American culture that the elders went first because they were the most wise, and they had the most insight. And then it was followed by the youngest women, which I thought was interesting because they represented the uh, the next generation, the birth. They were, you know, the, the fertile uh-huh. women were next. And then yeah. sort of the, the masses were in the middle. And at the very end were the adolescent boys because they had the stamina to wait as long and to deal with <laughs> as much BS, you know, before they got fed. Um, so interesting parallel there. But 
Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the tunnel. This seems to be something, as I've talked with other people, th there's some confusion there because, you know, you talk to some people and like, well, I'm always in a tunnel. <laughs> like, gee, it's, it's always a struggle. How do you know that you're in, a, in the tunnel? Okay, so the tunnel um, is that space between a late prince and a king. And um, sometimes men think they're in the tunnel when they are between a knight and a prince because they're so they're confused about what to do with their life and they can't commit to anything. Um, but you can tell that it's not the tunnel virtually just by their age. Like mm. they, what I've seen and it's, it's scary how predictable it is that it usually takes 12 years of accomplishment as a prince, building, 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 failing, building, failing, building, frustration, building a solid 12 years before the tunnel's going to hit you. And it might hit a little bit before that if you have um, an event in your life where the you could call it the existing king is threatened. So like a health crisis in someone's father mm. could cause a man to be like thrown into the tunnel um, <laughs> instead of, you know, easing in, he's just thrown in because because perception is telling him the king's going to need to be replaced. You got to get busy. Mm. Um, all very underground, you know, unconscious kind of things. Um, so that's what I always ask when when a man is wondering if he's in the tunnel. I I'm always wondering. Okay, so when did you start building? When did you figure out where you wanted to build? When did you start building? How many years has it been? That's the first thing I asked that I ask in order to get a sense of if, if it's even possible. Um, an interesting thing, Peter, though, is that what a man is building may not have anything to do with his career. Okay. So I know men who have so-called careers that are, it's just a job and they're providing for themselves and their family. But if you talk to them, what they're building is something else entirely. Can and you give me an example? Yeah. Um, have you ever heard our program called Journey to the Center of You? I have not. Okay. So this is something that some work that we did many years ago because what started showing up is conflicts in relationships because, because people didn't even, they weren't even participating in the relationship for the same purpose. Like to them, the point of being in a relationship wasn't even the same and they didn't know it because they never talked about it because to both people it was just so obvious what the point is and all their decisions all their choices about spending their time their money and their energy were all coming from this to what to them was an inherent truth and they didn't even know it and it was causing enormous conflict and so this started us um, a study to try to figure out how many major points of view are there about literally the point of life? What is the point of life, which is therefore the point of relationship, which is therefore the point of this moment? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and we, fight, we found five different ones. 
And um, one that's really common, it, we would call a builder. So someone who's a builder, it's all about the legacy of what they're leaving behind and their accomplishments are often very visible and they get uh, kind of overtaken by a vision of what's possible and they can't not make it real. Mm. Um, these are often in conflict with what we would call a knower grower. So a knower grower, my husband's a knower grower, I'm a builder. Um, his career was never what he was building. It was always his sense of self. It was always what he knew, what he understood, what he could offer to other people. Um, I call them banks and libraries. So, you know, he his profession as a corporate accountant was how he provided for himself and then our family. But his real work was in internally what he was learning to do and to be. And, you know, his master's degrees in... Um, spiritual psychology and conscious health and healing are way more significant <laughs> in who he is than mm. all the professional stuff. Mm. So that would be an example. Um, another another mode is an expressor. So you might have a man who has a has a job, but what he's really building is his his expression as a some kind of artist, a musician, a writer. Mm. Um, does that make sense? It does. Yes, this is fascinating. Continue. So those—that's I think that's three of the five. Yeah. Um, the so the 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 fourth um, and these are and we all have all of them by the way. Okay. Um, I know someone who like calculated their percentage precisely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's built so builders, knowers, and growers, expressors. Um, there's also enjoyers. So uh, my father, my father is an enjoyer. That would be his number one. Mm. And, and enjoyers on the one end of the spectrum can seem like these hedonistic pleasure adventure chasers. Mm -hmm. um, on the other end of the spectrum, it's this profoundly spiritual practice of bringing joy and finding joy in everything. Mm in grief, in boredom, in terror. They, I mean, they will, they're, it's extraordinary. You have an enjoyer around, mm -hmm. life is so much richer and bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one is what we would call a sharer. And for a sharer, the point of life, it isn't, it isn't what you do, it isn't what you build, it isn't <laughs> what you learn or who you become. It isn't how much fun or pleasure or adventure you have. It isn't the truth that you tell or that you reveal to the world. You know, an expressor is always about physicalizing the spiritual and the emotional and the mental. To a sharer, it's all about who did you live your life with? Mm -hmm. Whose life did you witness? Who witnessed yours? And there are sharers that for them, it's just one person. They're going to share their life with one person. Um, there are other sharers that I call them the more the merrier, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's that everything's better together, people. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, everybody has all of them. Um, so for just for me as an example, I am a build 
together with people I enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I'm always building, but I never build alone. And so I have projects, things I've wanted to do for literally decades that I don't do because the right person to do it with hasn't shown up. Mm. And I always pick people not because, I mean, yes, they are, they want to do that. They're passionate about it, doing it, but it's because I enjoy doing it with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because fun to me is a spiritual practice. (laughs) I'm going to type one fun. If I was, if you're a mountaineer, you know what type one fun is. I'm going to have fun at everything and I'm going to change anything and do it differently so that I have fun doing it. I don't care. I was picking up rocks in my field, which I spent too much time doing. (laughs) I have have a friend uh, that I just met with not too long ago and we were sharing a glass of wine and he's like, he said, if you come to my house and you don't have fun, it's your fault. He used a little more colorful language. But that, that to me, is the nature of, of a type one fun person. Um, so I, I had the question. My, my father was a builder and an entrepreneur and um, literally built a business, and, a, and, a, and that was his kingdom. So it's very tangible. It's very linked and associated with money. Uh, and I think a lot of men – have a similar thing where they maybe not necessarily money and or business, but achievement. And the, and so they associate kingdom with tangible achievement. Is that, is that healthy? Is that the right thing? Because a sharer, you wouldn't necessarily have tangible, it's not a bank account. It's not a, you know, or an expressor may have art and music that's tangible. Yes. But help me better understand what a king might look like in some of those other fields. Well, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Like you asked, is that the right thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, have to, I have to take a step back. So my journey since 1991 studying men has left me with a if I was going to have to pick one word, um, it's a commitment to honoring Mm. and to understanding and honoring ourselves and each other. So to me, builders, knowers, growers, expressors, enjoyers, and sharers, they all have gifts. They have beautiful, amazing gifts and boy, do we need each other. Mm -hmm. And, and so a sharer, for example, you Sharers you're going to see in family portraits. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they'll like they'll, you'll never find a picture of them alone, right? Mm-hmm. They'll they're always with their wife, their family, this huge family, right? And have a big grin on their face and you can tell that like they own this whole space of this family or this community or these friends. Um, and to them they're they're rich. They they have their own wealth and they, you couldn't get them to trade it for money or a building named after them for anything um, because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved when we distinguished these five modes was a man who's a builder who had always like literally berated his son and denigrated his son <laughs> because he thought his son lived a frivolous life. And when he learned these, he started to appreciate what enjoy meant to his son. Like that this was a spiritual practice of 
enjoy, enjoy, to live in joy, that takes a lot of muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most people live in complaint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he, for the first time, he admired his son for who his son was becoming in his own in his own right, in mm-hmm. his own in his own honoring of himself, and it completely transformed that relationship. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think of a lot of uh, a lot of people who are quote unquote successful who have built very big, tangible things that even have a, a, a profound impact in the world, and yet they're not at peace, and they're not joyful, and they're not happy. And what's what's the point of that? Um, you know, it's been said that uh, the greatest failure is success without fulfillment, and and so. The joy, yeah, I can see how in that case, someone who exudes that joy, it can be a real gift. It can be a real, you know, inspiration for those who are builders, especially, and, and so focused on building something that they miss the fulfillment part of life, which, what's the point of that? <laughs> um, yes. So, so this started with your question about someone being in the tunnel, Yes. right? And in... One of the things I love about Keys of the Kingdom and then the book after that, The Queen's Code, is the, the chance to get to be inside of a man's head mm-hmm. when he's in the tunnel mm-hmm. and the how everything is being questioned. And what's so upsetting to him is that he doesn't appear to be the source of the questioning. Like the questioning of, is this really important? Does this really matter? What really matters? What have I done this for? He's not generating those questions. He's being plagued by them, mm-hmm. and um, and that's the kind of um, the kind of torture <laughs> that the tunnel can be, and especially after that accomplishment, whatever that accomplishment was, whether it's expressed in tangible or intangible ways, right? What he's truly been building, whether it was visible or not. To come off of that accomplishment into this tailspin is so disorienting mm-hmm. for men and and often like has them doubt their sanity. Um, there are men who go into therapy at that point because um, they're like, what's wrong with me? And a good therapist hopefully is just listening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and just listen and let him talk it out. Because if he could talk it out, he can probably talk his way all the way through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if all therapists provide that. They kind of like to provide advice. Yes. Uh, but advice is the worst possible thing you could give a man in the tunnel. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned Queen's Code. Um, share a little bit about what the Queen's Code is about, so that the women listeners have an idea of. of the reciprocal of the king's keys to the kingdom. Well, it's, uh, boy, how do I say this? Mm-hmm. So, um, after studying men for a couple of years and being astonished by how much what I was learning from men contradicted what I'd learned about men from women, <laughs> Um, just stunned, stunned it to have it so wrong. Mm. Like, geez, how could we, how could we be so off base with these people? <laughs> and I'd also made the commitment to not emasculate men, which the, this is one of the traps that happens that it's in a man's strength that a woman then has the safety to get to discover the power of 
of her unique kind of power as a woman. But if we emasculate you because you don't act the way we think you should, which would be like a woman, then we're literally weakening, weakening you. And we can tell that you're weaker, which makes us afraid and has us step up even more to be the warrior mm -hmm. and the protector and the provider. So it's this vicious, vicious cycle. And The Queen's Code was the book that I always um, that I wanted to write starting in 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 1992 even and I didn't know how to write it and we started our workshops in 1995 so I could learn how to write a book that would transform the way that women related to men mm. and I didn't know it took oh did I lose you hello <laughs> oh you're back Oh, sorry, I lost 2010 to know how to write that book and <laughs> crazy amount of time to learn how to write that book. And in the meanwhile, I wrote Keys of the Kingdom. So they're both books are written for women and for men, um, both both for women and for men. And but the Queen's Code was was written to transform the way women relate to men and the way that they related to themselves mm. that. It, it proposes a code of honor for women that how she relates to herself, if she relates to herself as a queen, respects herself as a queen and is willing to respect and honor men as her her counterpart in partnership, as mm -hmm. as as kings or the possibilities of kings in every man, that it it changes everything. Where where did your inspiration come from for all of this? What was it about? your life and your upbringing that inspired you to create all this amazing content? <laughs> um, well, I was always an activist. I, I think I started when I was about six years old and <laughs> was talking to my mom about ending world hunger. Um, <laughs> and I was always called to speak for those who couldn't be heard. And um, for a big part of my life, that was children. <clears throat> And then as I started studying men and realized that as that men were always trying to explain themselves to women, but it was always interpreted as a poor excuse for bad behavior. We didn't we didn't believe it. We didn't honor it. Um, we, we literally couldn't hear or see it. And um, and so I began speaking for men, these amazing human beings that literally were being misunderstood and misinterpreted and maligned and and diminished at every turn because they were so different. And how dare you be so different than a woman who's obviously perfect. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, in between, what happened is my friend was called a frog farmer. Um, <laughs> she wanted to know why men were great in the beginning and then changed so much. And and the and a man explained to her that some women turn frogs into princes and she turns princes into frogs. Oh, and uh, yeah, and and my life flashed before my eyes mm -hmm. that I actually was doing something that brought the worst out of men, mm -hmm. and thought that that's who men really were. And uh, yeah, so that's that's when I decided to study men. 
I thought it would take two or three months to learn everything that was worth knowing. I <laughs> so that that there's karma for you. Twenty seven years later, yeah. I'm still amazed and fascinated by your your gender. Um, I really never committed after that point, like any longer. I just was taken up by, um, you could say truth. Truth is uh, my second highest value and that the absence of truth, the negation of truth, the blindness to truth, um, I can't really tolerate it. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, in, in our society to today, I mean, the, the culture, at least in the Western world, seems very, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about the, the ills of the patriarchy and uh, that the, there isn't, at least from my perspective, there isn't that honoring of real masculinity. And, you know, maybe it, 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 as part of that conversation is there hasn't been a lot of men to truly step into that space to actually honor what um, what men are capable of. But I wanted to ask you, how do you see today's modern relationship? Women have come so far in the last several decades. Um, I think especially with uh, with birth control, you know, that's completely changed on such a profound level how men and women relate. I think I actually heard it from you when you were talking about how women no longer had to uh, choose a mate and contemplate, I might be with this guy forever or, you know, or get impregnated by him and therefore have a, my entire life go down a different path. Now that there's, you know, birth control, they can, it frees all of that up. And therefore I was just explaining this to a friend yesterday, the standard to which you have to hold a man to, in order to sleep with him has completely changed. Cause now it can be more recreational and, and, and how that changes the entire dynamic. So with the empowerment of women over the last several decades and the change of birth control and a myriad of other things, where do you see the modern relationship today? What roles do you see that men and women play in a healthy, uh, fulfilling relationship? Hmm. Um, well, I was going to have a different answer until you said healthy, fulfilling relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm, I'm, I bring that up because I do ask people that there are changes that are undeniable and that I don't know that we'll, unless you throw us back into pre-1950, which, you know, maybe we need to do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking from an open, honest place, but yeah. I, I want well, to get just, clear on what that looks like. Okay. So if I could address the first part and then I'll propose the second part. So between birth control and first worldness, if you will, where we most of us don't experience being in like the edge of starvation um, and the information age where now knowledge and relationship is more important than muscle. Um, between at least those three things, um, a normal relationship between men and women right now is competition between dueling providers mm -hmm. and and that's what I see is the biggest problem that instead of um, complementing each other's strength strengths we're, we're literally competing and um, and diminishing each other and um, if we have time I'd love to go back to that thing you were saying about 
you know, maybe men aren't being, um, I don't know that you finished your sentence. Worthy of honoring. Yes, worthy of honoring. Um, if we have a chance to go back to that, there's a, there's a reason for that. There's a single focus reason for that. Um, and well, I'll just go there. Yeah, and we can't is, not answer uh, it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if you think of a hierarchy of instincts, I, I would assert it's procreate, then protect, then provide. And in our culture, we completely do not understand and do not honor and do not accommodate the male sex drive. So we disprocreate. Then protect the second in the hierarchy men are so much under attack that they have to be focused on protecting themselves so a man doesn't get to get around to protecting everybody else when he's when he's under attack Mm -hmm. there's a choice and he's not even making the choice he just has to protect himself Mm -hmm. so when women stop attacking men and i found this in my own life men instantly have the capacity to start protecting me before that, they were always off balance and on guard. They couldn't protect me. So, and then provide is the third. So if you're dissing procreate, which is where men's energy and life force comes from, you're putting a man on guard, so he has to protect himself instead of you, you never get the provider. You never get the guy whose natural inclination is to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the most natural, normal thing for a man to do. Anything that makes the people he cares about their lives better, easier, happier, more fulfilling. That's that's like what he wakes up for. Yeah. But most men never get to express that part of being a man because of what's happening with the first two sets of instincts. D- does that make sense? Hundred percent. Yep. Okay. So the good news is. <laughs> The good news is that because women don't need men in the way that we did in order to survive, okay, so for millennia, we have need men in order to survive, which makes us very calculating and manipulating and conniving and having sex to so that I do get pregnant, so you do marry me, so you do support me for the rest of my life, right? Like all that junk. Because we don't need that anymore, we actually now have the possibility of being partners. Mm. The problem is though, and that would be my other word in my life, partnership and honoring, the problem is that every human instinct I've been able to identify in the last 28 years pulls in the opposite direction of partnership. Hmm. Everything that is installed in the human body as, you know, factory installed compels us to behave the opposite of what partnership requires. Hmm. And which makes partnership what we would call a victory of human spirit. It's a it's a it's the in the brain you would call it the the prefrontal cortex executive override of the lizard impulse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that lizard impulse is always going to be at least a split second in front of the override. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. So literally to have the kinds of relationships which I say that it's time to transform into partnerships which are based in accountability instead of expectation they're based in 
communication instead of assumption. We literally have to learn how to contain the tension we feel in our own body and not have it rule us. Mm -hmm. To be able to not do what the tension is telling us to do. <laughs> Which for many women, the tension is what, ha what has us interrupt you. <laughs> so it starts That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are overcome by tension. And ah! <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, gosh, I, I have a friend who constantly interrupts and it, it's you, now that I know it, I just smile and laugh because she's just doing her thing and her feminine and I said something that she connected to and there she goes. And there she goes. Yeah, God, it was funny. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're at right at an hour right now. Do you still have a little more time or do you need to get run? I could do like two more minutes and okay. then I actually do have to go. Okay. Well, um, I, I only have like a thousand questions to ask you in two minutes. <laughs> Um, what's, well, we um, again, then. What, what was your relationship like with your father? Um, until I started studying men and before that, until I started participating in transformation in my, when I was 19 years old, I was convinced I had a bad dad who didn't love me, didn't care about me. And I was never going to get to get, do the good stuff that my brothers did. And after I started studying men and understanding how he related to me differently because I was a girl, which in interviewing a bunch of dads, like what's the difference between how they instinctively relate to the boys and the girls, that what they say is the boys is to protect and to train and hopefully have them turn out to be a better man than I am. Mm -hmm. And for the girls, it's to protect and to cherish. Mm. And over time, how dads protect girls has changed. Like in the beginning, it was, you know, for a long time, it was find her a good husband. Now it's teach her how to change her own tire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how dads protect girls. Um, so recognizing the way my dad related to me, recognizing how my dad expressed his love for me was very different than how I looked for it. Um, and I mean, we've been in a sweet spot for about 20 years. Oh, and goodness. yeah, he just turned 80 years old. He <laughs> called me yesterday. It was just the best. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Well, I, uh, like I said, I, I would love to keep chatting with you, but I, I do want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for the, for the time today. It flew by. Um, where can somebody go to learn more about what you have to offer? If they go to understandmen.com, Everything is there. Our online courses, um, our What Men Most Need from Women, which is a place to start for a lot of people. As a man, men learn a lot about it as well. Um, all our Understanding Men and Understanding Women courses are online there. Live events with me, free stuff, Excellent. everything. Excellent. Understandingmen.com. Alice, again, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Take care. All right. Take care.